The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Amen. heaven, we thank you that we may call upon you today, that you are the same God who you have been since before the foundation of the world, that you don't change, and that as we gather as your people by faith, we believe, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit upon us, and we pray, Lord, that you would do that. We cry out to you that you would be in our midst, that you would be pleased to inhabit the praises of your people. May you be with us today in our singing, in our reading of scripture, in our hearing your word proclaimed, as we raise up our voices to praise the name of our Savior, would you pour out your Spirit upon us, that we would hear and believe the gospel, that it would be sweet to our souls, and that we would enjoy being in the presence of your people. And Lord, we join our hearts together now with one voice and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal if you'd like to turn there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, 
What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 20, beginning with verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Amen. As we continue to worship Turn in your hymnal to number 705 as we sing together, I Know Whom I Have Believed. Yeah. 
And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. I wanted to uh, point something out with you uh, that we read this morning in the call to worship. I read in Psalm 19, verse 1, that something declares the glory of God. Does anybody remember? The heavens. The heavens. I read that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. I want to ask, does anybody know what that means? That the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament His handiwork. What does that mean about God's creation? It means that He's revealed Himself to us. That every time you walk outside or every time you open your eyes and look up, or any time you can hear something, or any time you speak or smell or taste, you are partaking of God's self-revelation to you, to His child. He's showing you, this is the world I've created. And should we just sit back and marvel at that and say, what a wonderful world we get to live in? Yes, we should. But also, you should be thinking in your mind and your heart, when you look at the beauty in the sky in a few months, when you see the beauty of of flowers and grass, and you go out and maybe even some bugs in a few months, you should be reminded what an awesome God we serve. Here is His handiwork before me. I get to see it. I get to live in His world. Do any of you like to work outside? Yeah? Any of you like to use tools and things, maybe sit on a tractor. Every time you do it, you should be saying to yourself, praise the Lord for this world I get to live in. Martin Luther used to walk out into his gardens and say, when he heard the birds singing, they were praising God, he believed. They were singing their song. And he would say, good morning, little theologian. You know better than I do to sing praises to your creator. And I want to remind you of something else too. You can see God's work in the creation that He's made. But did you know that you have the glorious opportunity every day to see God at work in your life? Yes, you can see it out in the world. But He does little things every day for you. And big things. But every day He provides you meals. He gives you a home to live in. Parents that love you. He gives you this wonderful place to come and to worship with God's people. But He does other things too. He makes a way for you when things are difficult. He provides safety when you might be fearful. And He provides for your family. What an awesome God we serve. I'm going to pray for you that you would remember these things. Let's pray. Father, I do thank You for the world that You have made that we get to live in. This world that You created, that You envisioned before it ever existed. And we can't even begin to understand how it's possible to create something out of nothing. But that's how You work. And Lord, we... We pray that you would help us, and I pray for our covenant children here this morning, that as they see the creation that you have made, that they would give glory to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see, even this week and even today, little ways that you are working in their lives, that you're not some far-off God who is too busy for children. You are a God who loves them and cares for them. And in the Lord Jesus, you said, let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you do accept us as your family because of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray now.
Amen. And would Katie and, and Danny stay? Everybody else, you can go sit. But Katie Timms and Danny Caldwell, could you stay for just a moment? Katie and Danny, you joined the church on Christmas Day. And I wanted to share with you a scripture passage. And then our, one of our circles um, gave these slides for you. Your names are on them. Katie Timms. Danny Caldwell, and I wanted to read a scripture with you after presenting these Bibles to you, okay? As, as members of our church, they joined on Christmas Day last year. From the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with the grace of God in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through the Father to Him. May the Lord bless you with those Bibles, dear ones. May they be what you hide in your heart. And may they comfort you as the Lord is with you. Thank you. What a privilege. And a blessing to see the Lord add to His church. It's a reminder. For our responsive reading this morning, turn in your hymnal uh, to page 827. We're going to be reading Psalm 116 together. Page 827, Psalm 116. I'll begin with the light portion. Uh, Please respond out loud together with the bold. I love the Lord, for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, He saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul. For the Lord has you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Let's stand together. 
as we continue to worship and turn in your hymnal to number 606 as we sing, Teach Me Thy Way, O Lord. struggles that were happening there, the war that was it was and is still continuing. So we wanted to pray for Andrew, that the Lord would bless him in the work that he's doing in the Ukraine, that he would sustain him. And also I wanted to pray for us in general, uh, just listening to prayer requests and praises during assembly this morning. I wanted to pray that the Lord would pour out his peace in our hearts and not peace because everything is fine and not peace because everything in the world is fine but because we know who is on the throne and we know who guides our lives. Pray that that peace would be what rests on our hearts. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be gathered as your people today. To be here at church, here at Lebanon, at home. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we may lift up our hearts to you And that you are the gracious and compassionate Heavenly Father who loves His people. You call us your sons and daughters. You have given us a place at your table. And it's not by our earning and not by our living, but because of the work of the Lord Jesus. We pray today, Lord, that you would hide us in the cleft of the rock. That we would be at a place where we might see and behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that as we lift him up, we would be captured in our minds and in our hearts in ways that we can't explain or understand that your peace would be what grips us. Your word says in Philippians that you are the one who guards our hearts and minds by your peace. And Lord, there's a lot around us that gives us reason to believe that things are in chaos. The world that we live in, the the country that we're in, many things are upside down. There's many reasons to be concerned. Even the things that happen in our own minds and hearts and things that happen in our homes. Lord, we are confused. We We are weary. We are tired. And Lord, we grieve. We grieve what we thought life would be. And we grieve the loss of loved ones. We grieve because things are just not going the way that they thought they would. And we never could have imagined that life could be this hard. But Lord, we do have hope and strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray by your spirit that you would pour out your peace on us. That we would know and be sure in our hearts that nothing comes into our lives by a mistake or by chance. But everything that you bring into our lives is from your loving hand. That you are our Heavenly Father guiding our lives. That there's nothing that we can that we can do to stay your hand. And if you bring it into our life, you also promise to be with us in it and to sustain us. And we need that. We need the reminder today of your hand upon us. Lord, I pray that you would bless Andrew Shepherd in the Ukraine. That you would give him supernatural strength and grace from the throne room of heaven to do the work that he's doing ministering to people who need to hear the gospel and being an encouragement to those who are on his team, those who are pouring out energy day after day just like he is. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them with all the might that they need to serve you. And may they also take care of themselves, looking after their own spiritual condition, being sure that they are clinging to Jesus and not to something else. Lord, I also pray for that country that you would do a work there, that the the power of the gospel would be moving in people's hearts. And Lord, I pray that for our own country. I pray for uh, for that for us here, that our leaders would be gripped by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that your self revelation in the world that we live in would call them to repentance. We pray for that Lord, that we might be able to lead quiet and peaceable lives, that we would serve you here and love one another. And Lord, we thank you for your gift to the church. And the gift that we are to one another and should be. We thank you for the blessing of being able to be here today. And Lord, I offer up prayers and petitions to you on behalf of those who grieve, who are struggling, who have health concerns, who have financial concerns, relationship concerns, that you would be to them the Almighty God, that you would show them a way out of dark places, and that you would be the God who cares for them. And may you. You use us to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.
want to invite you to open your Bibles to uh, the New Testament book of Titus. The New Testament book of Titus we're going to be reading this morning, verses 5 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we are continuing our series, Ordinary Christian Living in the Book of Titus, and we pick up on part two of what we began last week in the sermon I'm calling The Reason for Elders. Why did Jesus give elders to His church? And why is Paul so concerned to give elders to the churches in Crete? We're answering the question then, what are elders for? What do they do? Last week we began saying that elders are for discipleship. That this was Jesus' design when He said to the disciples to go out into all the world and make disciples of the peoples of every nation, baptizing them showing that it was through the church that it was God's design that people would be built up in the Lord, that they would know God's Word, they would hear the truth, that they would walk in His ways, that there would be encouragement to do that with one another. And one of the ways that He does that is by giving elders to His church. Secondly, we said that elders in this passage are for an example. And we spent the rest of our time on this last week, and we're going to pick up on that today and add one more to it. So elders are for discipleship, elders are for an example, and lastly, elders are for instruction in sound doctrine. It's also helpful to point out before we jump in that this list of qualifications that he gives for elders is actually the standard of Christian living for all believers. This is the intent of Paul, not that there would be different classes of spiritually mature people, but actually that every man who lives in a home with a family, every man who says, I belong to the Lord, that these would be the qualities that signify his life. These would be the ways that you know he belongs to the Lord. There isn't a set for the spiritual Christians. This is how you should live. And then another set for other people. He's saying, this is for everyone. And actually, in the Lord Jesus' church, these things are the bare minimum. This is the baseline. These are the non-negotiables. For the church, he's saying. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He wasn't writing that just to the leadership. He was writing that to the church at Ephesus to say that we all together, we rise together, we know the Lord Jesus together, and we're to call one another to it and reminding one another of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is so rich towards His people. 
Remember too that the Cretans believers were living in the midst of an immoral culture. It was very perverse. They denied the existence of God and the churches were enduring the threat of false teaching from within. So these standards that Paul is giving to Titus helps the churches and helps Titus to be able to identify and to point out these are men who are qualified, who have true saving faith and distinguishing them from people who simply claim to be a Christian to know Jesus but it has no impact on their life and doesn't affect their doctrine at all. So let's pick up where we left off last week. That elders, point number two, are for an example. We said last week that the word blameless has two meanings. First, to be blameless means that you are in Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's the the bare minimum requirement for elders in the church that they be gripped by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that they are truly a believer. They have saving faith and it's demonstrated in their life. They're blameless not because of their conduct. They're blameless because they belong to the Lord Jesus. And as the Father sees them, they see them in the, He sees them in Jesus Christ, blameless, spotless because of Him. We also said that to be blameless means to be above reproach. It doesn't mean that they're likable. These are the the best guys in the church that everyone just loves and gets along with or you know so-and-so. He's just such a great guy. No, it means that no accusations against them and against their Christian character would be able to stick. That's what it means to be blameless. So as they are blameless, they're meant to be a steward of two things. Last week we began saying that an elder is a steward in his own household. That he's meant to show the love of Jesus in his own home. That there should be visible integrity in Christian character in his relationship with his wife. This is for every man in the church, not just for the elders. But the elders absolutely should have an outward testimony of people who love their wives. And secondly, he said that they demonstrate their stewardship in their own household by loving their children. They're known to be those who love their children, who lead them to the Lord, who show them an example, not of a perfect person, And not of a religious person who's one way at home and different in public, but of someone who says and can say, I'm sorry, when he messes up, even to his children, to demonstrate what repentance looks like. And even someone who can say, I love you, and hug his children and demonstrate care and compassion to be there for them. They're also meant to be not just a steward in their own household. They're meant to be a steward of God's household. And one of the things that should characterize the men who are elders in the church is a love for God's people. And that's why he lists these five things that they can't be and six things that they must be. Because this is how Paul says, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a way of demonstrating a living, breathing, walking relationship with the Lord Jesus in His Word. So he gives us five things that they shouldn't be. Five things they can't be. He says they can't be self-willed. It means they can't be prideful or arrogant. They can't live life and be characterized by being men who are just simply filled with themselves so much that you could say they're just self-serving. That everything they do, there's always a motive behind it that is like a boomerang that comes back and helps them. That it's always about them. says they can't be quick-tempered. One commentator wrote, the hothead is unlikely to prosper in the Christian care of souls. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3 says, It is honorable for a man to stop striving 
since any fool can start a quarrel. Moses, we see his example in the Old Testament of someone who had unbridled impulse. You remember what he did. He struck the rock with the staff and God, for that reason, God said, you can't go. You can see the land of promise, but you won't walk in it because you didn't obey me. You didn't demonstrate for God's people what it means to walk by faith. You had to take it into your own hands. He's not quick-tempered. He said he's not given to wine. The elder is not given to wine. It doesn't mean the presence of wine, but the misuse. He's talking here about drunkenness. You might be familiar with the other scripture that says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. John Stott wrote, not all in God's church are total abstainers. Some are. But all are called to moderation and temperance. Not given to wine. He says they're not violent. This word means they're not to be a brawler. Not someone who would simply just as ready be as ready to talk to you as he would to just pop you right on the nose. Not someone who's violent if you disagree with him. Someone who's always up for a fight. Always ready to jump in the ring. He says, no, they should be people who are the peacemakers in the church. They should be the people that are guarding the peace and purity of the church because they know who the church belongs to. It's the church of the Lord Jesus. And who are the people that they're supposed to love but the sheep of the great shepherd? How could I not love God's people? Why would I want to fight with them? That's one of the questions you have to ask. He says they're not to be greedy for money. This is general greed and hunger for dishonest gain. And this is a particular thing in the Cretan culture. Paul knew this. Whether it was rampant at the time that he wrote this letter or not, the Cretans were known to be people who, it didn't matter how they acquired land or possessions or other things, there was actually no low that was too low for them. They would take it by any means possible. And it was publicly known and almost accepted. And he's saying that can't be a mark in the church. It's not possible that that could be something that demonstrates what an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus lives like. A Christian man can't live that way if he's going to demonstrate the love of Jesus and being under his authority. So as you think about these knots for just a moment, these things can exist, shouldn't exist in the life of of an elder. I just want to encourage you. It's not a checklist that you might say, okay, I'm going down the list, not this, not this, not this. And then you get to one and you say, wait a minute, I saw that once in him, disqualified. That's over. He shouldn't be an elder. Rather, ask the question, is this an ongoing pattern of mastery in his life? Is this the way that he always operates? The way he normally relates to people? Is he violent? Is he greedy? Does he seem to be mastered by his desires? By his hunger for things? Is it a sign of weakness in his character? Some way that he might need to grow and mature? And you might say, well, here's an objection. Here's an objection. How can you really know a person? How can you really know a person? How can I write a name down when we have officer nominations? When it's so easy to be one way at church and out in public and another way at home. To be two totally different people to live a different life. Or maybe you might say, well, this is an objection. You have no right to know what goes on in my home. You have no right to know how I conduct myself, how I lead my home. And I just want to encourage you that if you are any of these knots in private, they will eventually come out in public. 
You don't have a way to siphon off your life and your heart that way. We're not built that way. It's not possible to be two different people. And if these things that are nots are coming out at home, they eventually are going to come out and spew on the people of God. And so what Paul is saying is be careful who you put in this position. These are the minimums. They've got to meet this. He also gives a list of six things that they should be in a positive way. He says they should be hospitable. They should have a ready willingness to welcome others. Are the the people that you see as your elders, are they welcoming to both believers and those who are outside? Are they willing to extend hospitality, even as Peter said, uh, without grumbling? And it's interesting that he said that even even in the church. Offer hospitality to those of the household of faith without grumbling. And I think the sense that he has there, I agree with another minister who said that it's, it's like this. You give an invitation to someone, come on over for dinner after church. And you're not really expecting them to say yes. You're, you're sort of thinking they probably already have plans. And then they look at you and say, sure. And then you, you maybe share a few pleasantries after that and get in the car and Honey, I invited so-and-so. You did what? <laughs> yeah, I invited them, but <laughs> hope you have your seatbelt on. They said yes. Um, it's that kind of idea. Showing hospitality with a sense of sincerity. It's offering those invitations, but meaning it with love and compassion. Being a lover of what is good. Not just loving the things that are acceptable and good in the public eye, but the things that are acceptable and good because the Word of God says them. To be sober-minded, to be steady and dependable, not at the mercy of the pressures of your external life, not always under the gun, not someone who can't govern his own life, but is sober-minded, and also someone who's just, upright, and righteous in his character, doing not what is most expected of him, what everybody else thinks he should do, or always doing the popular thing, well, I heard this is what people actually want. I read this week that shepherds are not the kind of people who lead God's people into pastures they want to go to, but in the places that He knows, according to God's Word, they need to be. And sometimes that's not always the most desirable place for the sheep. But it is the Lord Jesus' prerogative to do that. He says they're also to be holy. And you might pause there and say, well, wait a minute. I understand we keep setting the bar a little higher with each word that we go through, but to say that a man is holy, doesn't the Bible say that there's no one who is righteous, not one in Romans chapter 3, verse 10? Isn't the word holy attributed to God alone? Hear these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's a reminder That these men are not holy on their own. It's not something they have that separates them from everyone else. It's something that God has done in the heart of every believer. He has made you righteous in Christ. That means that we are all on the level playing field. And so we can have in our our leadership vows when we installed officers a few weeks ago. We asked the question, do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? It's because we know we need that accountability. We're Presbyterians. We have representative church government and a plurality of elders because nobody has a corner on the truth, not even the minister. And you need to hear that. It's true. It's not false humility. It's real. Our elders are men who care about you. And there are times when we deliberate on things that are of serious and consequential matter. And there is goodness 
in that accountability. And there is righteousness in it. That we before the Lord might answer to Him for the decisions that we make. And praise the Lord when a brother speaks up and says, I think we need to think about this. Or don't forget about that. It's not about making decisions that are popular or that everyone will be happy with. It's about making decisions that we know the Lord Jesus, the King of His church, will be honored with. It also says that He's to be self-controlled, self-disciplined. It's a summary of the rest of these qualities that should be exemplified in the life of an elder. It's been said it takes 20 years to build a good reputation and only five minutes to ruin it. That's true. It's true. And there's no, it's, it's not hard to see why. There's no mistake why Paul included self-control in this list. Because it's going to be required for Titus and the elders who God is raising up in his church to exercise in the interactions they have with those who are stirring up trouble in the churches. To face and repair the damage that they have created. And to help the churches that have young believers in them. And in some cases children. But young adult believers in them. Who need to grow up to maturity and godliness. And a tendency to be impulsive and not have any self-control. Could spell disaster for the church and hurt people. The reason an elder is serving in the church is because he loves God's people. And if that's not the driving motivation of his heart to love and have compassion and shepherd God's people the way Jesus shepherds him, then he's not qualified to do it. Lastly, elders are for instruction in sound doctrine. It says in verse 9 that they're to hold fast to the faithful word. Maybe you could ask this question as you think about those who are your elders or those that you might put on the list next time we have officer nominations. Ask this question, what's his relationship with the Bible? Is there evidence in his life that's visible that God's Word has a grip on his heart, that it constrains his activities, his attitudes, and his mindset about life? Is he someone who reads God's Word? Does he hold fast to it? It's, a, it's a, an idea of a fierce attachment with God's Word, like a greedy person's devotion to money instead of to God. Is he after God's Word? And is God's Word after him? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 6 says of wisdom, love her and she will keep you. It's like that beautiful song the choir sang several months ago. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Is there evidence of Christ holding him fast in his life? Because it says that he does it. Two ways that an elder holds fast to the word of God. Three ways. First, he believes and teaches the Bible as God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul said to Timothy, another young man who was serving in churches, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. If that is not a base level commitment of an elder to the word of God, then he's disqualified. He has to hold on to God's word. He has to believe that it's true. It's vital, Titus, I'm telling you. You've got to remember, Paul is saying, it's vital to remember the things that I'm telling you, Titus, are intended and should be received as the word of God for his church. It's not the writings of men. The Bible is not mere scribbling on a page. It's not like reading the newspaper or your favorite book. This is the self-revelation of the God who created the world and who made you and me and everything in it. The Bible for an elder has to be relevant in every situation for all times, for all peoples. This isn't a book. This is the sacred 
changeless word of God. And we should read it and understand it as such. Number two, holding fast to the word of God means holding to the purity and the simplicity of the gospel. Paul said to the church at Colossae in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you of first importance all of that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. An elder needs to believe that that is actually true. That's a base level requirement. He has to be sure of the purity and the simplicity of the Gospel. It says... In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, you should be able to see that the Word of God is working in the heart of an elder. Not just that he reads it, not just that he has a familiarity with it, but listen to these words that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the Word of God which you heard from us, This is what Paul was saying to them. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in the truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. That's a promise to the church. That the word of God, as you read it, by God's grace, in His Spirit, He works it in you. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so what you're looking for in your elders is people who you see the word of God at work in their life. In the everyday things, not just in the Sunday go to meeting, but not in Sunday school or when you shake hands after church, but you see it working in their life when they hit a roadblock, when they hit a struggle, when things are not good. You see what comes out of someone. And he's saying it needs to be a grip on the Word of God because the Word of God is working in them. It says, lastly, that by sound doctrine, an elder is supposed to be able to exhort and convict. And this is a serious one in the day that we live in. Are there men who you trust in the church? Are your elders in the church those that you trust to hear the teaching that's going on in the church? Would you be surprised, Sunday school teacher, if an elder came in and just sat to listen and to hear, to take part, to hear what our children are learning? Would you be surprised if they just sat down to listen? And would you expect that your elders are people who when they hear teaching, they know what's missing? That a steady diet of whatever it is that you're teaching, would it be okay for an elder to say, I think you ought to add this. I think you ought to add this because a steady diet of whatever it is you're teaching over 20 years, I know this is what's going to happen. Your elders need to be so in tune that they understand what's being taught. They're supposed to be able to encourage God's people in the Gospel. They're supposed to remind them of God's promises. With joy and delight. There are times when you need to open the scriptures and encourage people. People who are hurting. Your elders are people who are supposed to be able to do that. It says that they're also to be able to convict by the word of God. Not get in an argument. But able to refute when someone is teaching something that's not right. That would disturb the people of God and the peace and purity of the church. It doesn't say be ready to attack. It says be able to convict. The work of God is done by His Spirit. Not by men grumbling and getting up energy. It's by God working through His Word. And I just want to end by saying, oh, what the grace of God can do. 
Who would have thought that Paul, who used to be Saul, would be an apostle? This man who hurt people, who terrorized the church, or that the Cretans could be so transformed by the gospel that they could have their own elders. And what you should be saying in your heart is, oh, what the grace of God can do because He changed me. He made me His son or His daughter. Oh, what the grace of God can do in my life. If we only knew half of what goes on in each other's minds and hearts. Oh, what the grace of God can do in my life. Praise the Lord, I'm at Lebanon today. There's no mistakes. God doesn't make any. It should cause us to pray for our elders. We talked about that last week. But it should also make us ask a question. Where are the future elders of Lebanon Presbyterian Church going to come from? How will the Lord raise them up? Where are the exemplary exemplary Christian men who have character and proven spiritual capability in the family of God? Tested spiritual commitment to God's Word who will not waver. Where are those men? I'm humbled to tell you that they're in our homes. They're sitting at our kitchen tables. They're in your Sunday school classes. They're coming to vacation Bible school. They're taking part in the life of the church right now. What a sacred responsibility we have to raise up our children to know the Lord. Who knows which of our children the Lord might raise up to serve His church here and to faithfully lead God's people. What a responsibility we have. Praise the Lord for giving elders to His church. People who love God, who love God's people, and who love God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word that You give to us. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us in this way. And we thank You for Your gifts in the church. Lord, I do offer up prayers for our elders that You would strengthen us. Give us wisdom beyond ourselves. Give us a desire for knowing Your Word. And Lord, I pray that You would give us love and compassion and a sincere desire to shepherd Your people with the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and sing hymn number 537, Take Time to Be Holy. Yeah.
it as we take an offering to the glory of God. thank you for this time in our worship service to be able to return to you our tithes and offerings that we might participate in worship this special way and say to our own hearts that we may not be tied to the things of this world. And Lord, we thank you that you do pour out so many of your blessings upon us. You provide for our families, you provide for your church. And we pray, Lord, that you would use our tithes and offerings for the spread of the gospel, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be great in our state and in our country and among the nations, that people would hear the gospel and repent and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. the benediction of our Lord. Now may God be your exceeding joy, Christ your unfailing hope, and the Spirit your unfailing comforter in all your worship and work and troubles until Jesus comes again. Amen.